0: I'm Ashley Nichols. And I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. This is the Growing Democracy podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they're involved in their communities.
1: Communities is broadly defined, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that oftentimes when we talk about communities, people kind of think about our, our geographic communities, whereas like I'm in this neighborhood and it's located in this town or city and it's located in this metropolitan statistical area. But communities involve so much more than that.
0: Yeah. And right. So we were having, we've been having this conversation in terms of kind of our identity communities, right? So finding a community of women to be in solidarity with to understand, um, how our experiences are similar or, um, um, or different, right? Um, but also, you know, there's also kind of the academic community or the university community, um, which is this kind of weird amorphous thing, um, that is, very real though, right? And, and and if you are a listener and you log onto Twitter, you will find that academic Twitter community as well that, that's very active in that space.
1: They're a very vocal community. Yeah, and, and, it's a, and you're right. It's a weird amalgam of uh, universities and departments within universities, but also disciplines that are across universities and, and also comprise scholars that are, are, are not located within universities. And um, one of the things that we're going to be uh, kind of exploring a bit more today is how you can practice civic and political engagement in these kinds of discipline communities um, that are nested also, right? Within, within broader academic communities.
0: We're super excited to have with us today, Dr. Brandy Blessett and Dr. Sean McCandless. Brandy Blessett is an associate professor and director of the Masters of Public Administration program, which has a social justice focus at the University of Cincinnati. Sean McCandless works as an assistant professor of public administration and as associate director of the doctorate in public administration program at the University of Illinois Springfield. We're super excited to have you today. Thank you excited to be a part of this
2: conversation.
0: Excellent. All right. So um, as normal, we always start with uh, this type of question, but can you all tell us a little bit about yourselves, Um, who you are, the type of work that you do, um, a little bit more than what your bio provided, um, so we can get a sense of, you know, why you're here today. Um, Sean, would you mind starting us off?
3: No, not at all. You know, just thanks for being here. I mean, this is just always such a great group to be with, you know, any chance I get to talk to the three of you is, is a great day. Um, so in terms of my research, I mean, I'm I'm really interested in, in social equity and all of my research concerns that, but I'm particularly interested in these questions of these interpretive aspects of social equity, uh, not just in terms of performance measurement, but what do people consider fair? Why do they consider fair? What are these power dynamics there? And, you know, one thing I always like to say is that, you know, you could have a beautiful empirical analysis of something that could demonstrate a disparity, but it it still takes a human being to interpret that, to interpret what does this mean? How do we measure it? What do we do about it? And it's that interpretive aspect that I'm particularly interested in. And through the section on democracy and social justice and ASPA, that's that's the type of questions we're trying to have as well, to really break down these barriers, to break down these existing racist, white
2: supremacist, patriarchal power structures. Brandy, do you want to also share a little bit about you and your work? Sure. I just want to say shout out to Sean, right? Because not I, this moment that we find ourselves in explicitly naming these systems of oppression is magical for me, right? I know it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but the reality is, you know, Bell Hooks talks about the fact that if you can't name it, you can't solve it, right? And so to hear Sean say that within the context of public administration as a scholar, as a, 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 an educator, as a practitioner, it, it really means a lot to me, um, particularly because it re- for me, it feels like it's a turning tide, uh, the moment that we're in. To, so to build off of that, so my I'm, I've always been a social justice researcher, and my interests, very similar to Sean's, but... Uh, Focused in on this idea of administrative discretion, social equity, and more recently, engagement or involvement in interrogation of the criminal legal system. And so as I think about these things, you know, the role of the administrator in in and across institutions is really important. The level of discretion and authority that they have to either facilitate justice or injustice for communities is really important. And I'm not going to say it's understudied, but the racial implication of that needs a bit more critique, right? You know, beyond you know Lipsky street level bureaucracy, how many people are really digging into how decision how how choice points affect the, the the cumulative impact of people's lives, communities' lives. And I think that's fundamentally important. And so this role of the administrator, the discretion that they have, uh, their use of public resources um, within the context of a public institution really are, are at the forefront of my mind and how all of those things manifest itself to create a differential experience for, for people at the margins, be it um, women, um, LGBTQ individuals, uh, disabled individuals, English language learners, right? And so, really wanting to interrogate that a bit more.
1: Now, uh, both of you have a lot and a storied uh, research background in issues of social justice, but especially, obviously, uh, anti-racism, uh, anti, you know, uh, 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 white supremacy work. Um, now, in addition to that, though, you're. I would say pretty engaged with right on the ground investments in both of these uh, movements as well. And I know that on September 8th and 9th, there was the scholar strike, which for those that aren't in academia, maybe they aren't familiar with. So this might be the first time that they're hearing about it. What was the scholar strike and how and why did it come to be? I, and Brandy, I wonder if you could answer that first.
2: Sure. Uh, So Anthea Butler and Kevin Gannon developed the idea. And so they were both on Twitter. And from Anthea Butler's perspective, she said, basically, we need to support the athletes of the NBA and WNBA who have taken a stance against racial injustice. And I think we as scholars should do something. And she initiated the hashtag scholar strike. So I saw that and just Randomly tweeted, we should do that, right? And really didn't think about it. So in the midst of this moment, I've taken social media off my phone. And so it's I can only access it on my iPad. So I tweeted that and then closed my pad. And then I come back a couple hours later and everybody's like, I'm in, I'm in, I have DMs, I have all of these messages and uh tweets, and 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 I was like, this might be a thing, <laughs> right? And so from that moment on, like compiled a group of eight folks who served as the core team. We got on a Zoom one afternoon and within a matter of a week had uh, a schedule, uh, a list of topics. We were able to slot people into those spaces. So initially the idea was 20 scholars over 20 hours. We ultimately got 22 people to from, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on on the 8th and 9th to, like, clockwork. It, it was so beautiful to see. So many people engaged, so many people calling out these systems in support of uh, racial justice, uh, social equity, and putting that within the context of our discipline of public administration. So people were tweeting, you know, about from a research, from a teaching, from a practical standpoint, how these how these topics affect us? How can we integrate them? How? What are our experience with them? And so it was. It was just a, a beautiful thing to be a part of.
1: Now, Sean, you were a part of this too. Um, can you talk to us more a bit about your experience and like what motivated you to join in with this? And and why was PA scholar strike? Uh, and how was it? How was it related to the larger scholar strike?
3: I mm-hmm. mean, I really have to give a big shout out to, to Brandy and Tia, who uh, really you know, got this off the ground, kept us organized, created the schedule, and, um, and really seen what each of us wants to contribute. Um, the way that I think I saw this fitting into the greater uh, uh, scheme of the scholar strike is that public administration did need to be called out specifically. It did need to have its culpability in creating and maintaining and expanding systems of justice called out in no uncertain terms in multiple ways. Because let's, I mean, let's face it, the system is not neutral. The idea of a, of a bureaucrat, of a neutral uh, bureaucrat, is, is just doesn't exist. Um, PA, SENSE, its inception has been the vehicle to create these systems of oppression and to make them work and to exclude. And this is something that I think makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. This is something I put in my tweets. It's uncomfortable to say this, but this system was designed to exclude. This system was designed as racist. It was meant to privilege white supremacy and it was meant to privilege patriarchy. And now with our... uh, other understandings, you know, of cisgenderism, of of uh, privileging, you know, heterosexual experiences and so forth, and that culpability needed to be called out in no uncertain terms because the system is not neutral, and PA in particular, as this vehicle to make public policies happen, ideally, To make people's lives better, well, it's not doing that. It hasn't done that, and we need, if we want to foster social justice in the future, we have to call these things out in no uncertain terms. Racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, anti-LGBT attitudes, and so forth, because the system has meant to privilege the few, and it hasn't been, and this has to change. And so I focus, I'll just answer here because you can, you can edit this out later, but, uh, you know, I, I focus particularly on HR. And one of the things that I did in, in my segment was that I examined, you know, here are all these wonderful laws that have been passed to try to make workplaces fairer especially regarding, you know, persons uh, persons of color, black persons, indigenous persons, persons of color, women and so forth, LGBT individuals, that despite all of these advances, why do workplaces still remain hostile? Why do uh, people who are outside of the straight white man privilege, why, why, do, why do they still feel not valued? Why are they not making as much? Uh, why do they feel they can't advance? And so from my portion, I was really trying to call it out, saying, yes, we have these legal advancements. But we still have a lot of ways to go.
0: That's amazing, the work that you all put into it and the role uh, and, and thinking about the the significant important role of the PA scholar strike within the context of the, the scholar strike um, more broadly. And you've already talked about this, but I want to kind of go back a little bit and for our listeners really to, to think about. Um, What it was that you all were doing for the PA scholar strike, right? So part of it was the virtual Twitter teach-in and I'd like to uh, Give this to Sean first and just ask Sean. What is a teach-in?
3: Right The way that I I saw the the teach-in is that it was a way for us to really have this platform. We had a common hashtag. We we used ScholarStrike. We also had hashtag PA ScholarStrike, so everyone could follow along with it. And what each of us attempted to do was Take a little piece of public administration and saying, here are the issues. Here are the issues with respect to the lack of racial justice, the lack of social equity and so forth. Here are these issues. Here's what's known about it. But then also, here are things we can do about it. And so each of us approaching it in a different way. Like some people focus primarily on diagnosing issues. Some people wanted to uplift others' voices and share that work. So it was really an opportunity of all of us as educators to use that platform, to use our educational experience by saying, okay... It's our job to educate. Here is some education for you about these 22, 20-some 20 different topics, but with the theme being, we all are accountable for racial justice, and we did it in our own ways.
0: And Brandy, from your perspective, can you tell us a little bit about how you went about pulling in these 20-plus scholars to be a part of this? I mean, it's two days, 20 plus, 22, you said? 22. Scholars that are doing this work. It's a ton of organizing.
2: Honestly, it was a a crowdsourced effort. Right. So uh, with the eight between the eight people who were the core on that initial Zoom, it's like who in your network do you know does do this work. Right. And and really, I mean, unfortunately, we're a small group of people who uh, we've created a community uh, amongst ourselves of people that we know do very good, very intentional, very thoughtful race work right or justice work. And as a result, it's like, so who from Twitter sphere would be interested and who do we think would be able to offer a different context and perspective for how this either affects them or that they want people to know how do they unpack, you know, the implications of their their respective area of interest, right? And so, you know, one person Stephanie Dolamore talked about disabled black lives, which was an amazing thread because for me, it, it's one of those things, right? Like I care about people at the intersection, but I don't have a lot of knowledge because that's not really my area of interest, not interest, but my area of focus. Right. And, and so because of that, like I was able to see from her lens, all of the obstacles um, that, that people who our Black and disabled experience, in addition to her offering other resources in order to support, right? Um, There were folks that really talked about research methods. I'm a qualitative person, right? So I I don't care about stats. I mean, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But to see how people were beginning to be more intentional about the questions that they asked, the type of data that they were using. And, and Hannah Lewitz put 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 together a wonderful thread around research methods and just kind of those those thoughtful considerations, right? And so, you know, whether it was budgeting or nonprofits or local government or ethics or even the foundations to PA. Um everyone has such a unique perspective and because we are a small community we kind of knew who to tap into right and so it wasn't it wasn't hard at all for us to identify who those people were um the the reality is that once we got started there were other people who were like hey i you know i not not wanting to offend people but i, I wish i would have known cuz i would have loved to contribute and so they contributed in other ways they retweeted they responded um and so they were supportive in that regard but you know that's that's kind of a, it was really a kind of crowdsourced effort but again it's it's not enough of us that do this work and 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 I want to be intentional about the thoughtfulness for which these scholars have engaged in this work throughout their career right like it's not a bandwagon issue it's an issue that they've always cared about that they have have, have researched and and really been intentional about how they bring that conversation to the discipline
1: Now, much like the two of you, I'm sure that those that participated in general in Scholar Strike had kind of some goals setting out that motivated this work. What were some of these goals? What are some of the goals that that you guys had in mind? And was the teaching and the strike more generally, do you think, useful in attaining those goals? Brandy, I'd, I'd love to hear from you first. So I
2: think the goal was, one, obviously to support the broader issue of racial justice, to be a part of the academic community, but situate that conversation within public administration. And then three, kind of galvanize the community of scholars around bringing visibility to to these conversations from an interdisciplinary perspective and across collaboration, right? And so you know, I think the stories that we shared, the strategies that we shared, some of the challenges really made us closer at, as a group of scholars doing this work. Um, but I also think it gave visibility to graduate students, to younger scholars, to, you know, entry-level practitioners who don't know how they fit in this space and don't know where their allies are, right? And so Twitter's been Twitter is great professionally. Like, you know, there are other social media platforms for which you will see me on, and I won't talk anything about work. But for me, Twitter is like the workspace, right? Because all all the cool people are there, <laughs> and I'm able to keep abreast on on so much good work. But the conversations that also happen, um, the the challenges that are identified, or just some of the questions that people raise in that space are are so important. And so, for me, having uh creating a level of visibility of this community doing this work I thought would be beneficial for graduate students who are trying to navigate programs and colleagues or professors who are trying to downplay its emphasis or trying to talk them out of doing equity work because you won't get tenure or because it's not important or because that's not what mainstream journals want to see. And so for us, or at least in my perspective, you know, the goal is for us to kind of use this momentum and to create a larger voice, a larger platform for these issues so that equity and justice is no longer a marginal conversation. It is part of the mainstream discussion of public administration.
3: And what I think, I think was really, was good about it. I mean, um, pretty, pretty quickly into the scholar strike, um, Anthea Butler uh, retweeted us and we had a schedule out there and she said, look at this. And it, it seemed to drive a lot of people to say, "Oh, let me check out hashtag PA Scholar at Strike too." There's some really amazing things going on there, so that was really nice to see. I, I texted Brandy very excitedly because we were doing the DSJ social media. I said Brandy, "Look, look what just happened!" And it was, <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was it was really good. But it, I but in all seriousness, I think I was especially pleased to see um, students responding to it. You know, we had PhD students, uh, we had DPA students, we had MPA students, uh, BA students, and so forth. The, the students who were responding to that and retweeting that, um, it, it seemed to be that the whole nature of the strike showed them that they had a place, that they had a voice that were absolutely incomparable and should be valued because there can be so many questions about, person could have, you know, how do I fit into this field? What's my role? Um, what, what's my voice? Uh, what can I do here? And having these types of discussions by saying, hey, racial justice achieving this is an absolutely integral goal. You need to be part of it. It, it, it seemed to def- foster inclusion in other ways as well by saying it is okay to talk about this not only is it okay to talk about it, you should talk about it you need to talk about it your work on this is important whether you're a practitioner an academic uh, student whatever
2: it happens to be I, I was really pleased to see that and just to build on that one of the things that I will say is that so I've been in academia for 10 years now right and so hard to believe but nonetheless uh, and and when I came into academia, I didn't see myself, right? And, and it's one of the things that almost caused me to leave because I I felt such, I felt so out of place because I didn't, I didn't see where the things or the people or communities that I cared about reflected in the research. There, there was pushback in the classroom in terms of, and at that point in time, I hadn't had, I had not developed my language to be able to articulate and help explain why these systems operate the way they do in order to meet people where they are right and so it was a, it was a really sh- It was a struggle for me. Right. And so you had scholars, you know, we stand uh, as social equity scholars. We stand on the shoulders of of Francis Harriet Williams and Susan Gooden and Blue Woolridge and Phil Rutledge and J. Barry James and Cy Murray and George Fredrickson. Right. Um, But the reality is at that point in time, at least when I got into the academy, those folks were so far away from me, right? Like they, they were the people that you read about. They weren't the people that I were interacting with on a day-to-day basis or regularly at conferences. And so the distance between me and them was great. And the conversations that I wanted to have, there wasn't a community like there is now, right? And so, you know, for me, part of the beauty of this moment and the scholar strike and everything that we've been able to do building on that momentum is showing me how much progress we've made in a matter of 10 years. Right. And so how much more progress will we continue to make with this type of engagement and with this level of intentionality?
0: I've only been in the academy. Well, I got my MPA 14 years ago. So that's when I started thinking about like, do I want to be in this space? Like, do I want to, and I actually got, uh, I concentrated in social work because That was where conversations about social justice and social equity were taking place. And I really was conflicted in terms of what degree I actually wanted. Now I'm here, right? So I can, (laughs) and have been welcome into these spaces um, and I appreciate it immensely. So for our listeners, I participated in the PA Scholar Strike as well. I was invited to participate. But I, I, I wanna actually ask you all a little bit more about the role of academia right because we know that academia (laughs) is problematic as well right so from your perspective do you think that academia the university is a useful mechanism or space for addressing white supremacy racism and other forms of oppression especially given what we know about the university system
3: long story short I think that academia could serve as a useful mechanism, but we have to admit a couple things first off. With all of these structures of power, they are going to be racist, white supremacist, patriarchal, against, you know, differentness, shall we say. We need to admit that that really academia can be the exemplar of racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and all of these things, and to the degree that these systems of power have existed for centuries, Look in terms of who could get an education, of whose research is valued. And if we are going to have this conversation, we also need to query the fact that many scholars still do not feel that they are valued. They could be overburdened with service requirements. They could not have their service valued. They could not have their research valued. They could not have their teaching valued. They walk into a department, and they may be expected to act like a straight white man, even though this is no part of their identity. And that is really, really dangerous because you could have tenure decisions that are based upon this. And we know this, people going on Twitter saying, wait a minute, I was denied tenure because I decided to teach about race uh, and racial justice issues. And then I wasn't received, didn't receive tenure. And then one person said, well, now they're going to bring in a white man who's going to be celebrated for doing this thing that I probably did better. You know, we see these things all the time on Twitter. So Yes, it absolutely can be a useful mechanism, but only if we begin to unpack and admit all of these things first. And I'm just going to end with this because I'm really curious what Brandy has to say about this. You might have seen some of these things going around Twitter, like these Shell Silverstein little things about the difference between inequality and 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 equity and justice. And eventually you get to the justice picture and they're propping the tree back up to say, oh, we're resolving the institutional injustice and everything's fair now. Okay, there's a big problem with that. Injustice is not accidental. It is designed. It's not just a matter of the tree growing left or right. It is designed that way. And so if we do want to make academia a useful mechanism to do it, all of these things need to be named, to borrow Susan Gooden's uh, ideas, named, blamed, and claimed in no uncertain terms because biggest danger we can have is say academia you can resolve all these things and all we end up doing is just re-perpetuating systems of power systems of inequity that just happen to be put in terms that are acceptable to the elite and that is so dangerous because if we talk about the dismantling of the systems in term that please the oppressors We are not actually fulfilling our ability to do anything,
2: to create any type of justice. So I'm really curious what Brandy has to say about that. My immediate response, and you can edit this out, was hell no, right? (laughs) I honestly got into academia because I thought it would be different, right? And the higher up the food chain I get, I realize that it's like sausage being made is terrible, right? Like it's nothing that you want to see. And we have, like, there, there's all of these, like, conversations about academic freedom and freedom of speech and all of that, right? But the ability to use the classroom to engage in discussion and, and push up against these concepts creates the student who goes to, I'm going to tell and I'm going to write you a bad evaluation, right? The reality is that everything about our current institution is designed to maintain the status quo, right? And and it it's really interesting. And and part of the reason that my thread was on critical race theory for the scholar strike was in response to the president and his constituents and all of his colleagues who had a temper tantrum about critical race theory and white privilege, right? So much so that the OMB, you know, wrote a memo saying that, you know, all trainings that have critical race theory and white privilege in them. Will, be, will not be funded anymore. First of all, I don't even know how... I don't even know where that happens anywhere, first of all, right? But the reality is, his and his response is, a proposal f- to defend patriotic education, which is the same education for which we've been misinformed and miseducated about in the first place, right? Like, it, it's so frustrating to have a conversation or... It, I guess I will say that higher ed, academia is a microcosm of society, right? The same structures and tensions that exist in the public sector that exist in the private sector exist in the nonprofit sector and also exist within academia, right? You're talking about, you know, Sean has been naming this stuff the whole time, like patriarchy, white supremacy, you know, all of these isms, right? And that doesn't manifest itself differently within the context of higher education, Right there's still too many of us who are the first or only women in our department, the first or only black people in our department, the first and only whatever, right? And and that's extremely problematic because it really, it creates a different experience for students in the classroom, what they can learn, what they're going to be exposed to, how they understand the problems. I'll be honest. I didn't see my first professor, black woman, until I got into my master's program. And that was the first opportunity for me to say, I can do that. Cause prior to that, it was just like that's that that's not for me. Right. And and so that lack of diversity, that lack of perspective in the classroom, and that and 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 Dr. Hall to this day is a mentor of mine. She helped shape my professional trajectory in a way that I never would have gotten exposed to if she wasn't in the front of that classroom. Right. And so, you know, I think that like I, I think that. These ideas are so entrenched that to push up against it feels like an assault when the reality is it, it's an opportunity for us to really use the classroom as a space to to have critical conversation. Where else are you going to do that? You're not going to do it with your family. You're not going to do it with your friends. It's not going to happen around the dinner table. Everybody's going to sing Kumbaya and say the things that are, are, will make people comfortable. The only time we are really in a space where we can interrogate and be critical of ideas is in the classroom. And if we take that away, then what what else do we have? Right. We, we, we lose the ability to communicate. We lose the ability to debate. Really. I'm not saying you just let people go crazy and say whatever. Right. You have to foster a space where people feel comfortable. You have to foster a space where, you know, those ideas and people are open to be vulnerable but if it can't happen in the classroom where else is it going to happen
1: yeah i mean it, you both are <laughs> saying just things that are just absolutely striking for me yeah that's that's precisely what i've been thinking this whole time and only i couldn't say it so eloquently so <laughs> i really appreciate both of your thoughts on this now I, you're both engaged in other work i mean really actively trying to dismantle and disrupt racism and oppression in society and in the academia Can you tell us a bit about some of your other work, Uh, just right, ATP Dialogue Call, DSJ Forum? And and do you see this work as a necessary part of civic and political engagement?
2: Yeah, Sean has been like my tag team partner for the last year, right about now. Um, He and I have just, based on our interests and the organizations that we've been, been involved in, we have just been doing just about everything together. So besides Tia is Sean, right? Like in terms of like how I, I, just how my engagement and how programming and how all of these things has really unfolded. And so both Sean and I are working on the dismantling um, uh, white supremacy symposium that is out of administrative theory and praxis. Shout out to Stacey Zavataro, who has always made and created space for critical conversations, conversations about racial equity and justice, um, since she has been editor uh, of that particular journal. I really appreciate that because now, you know, you see lots of other journals kind of jumping on the bandwagon. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm just. (laughs) But I I appreciate her for always creating space for that. Um, Sean and I i am also on the leadership team of DSJ. And so uh, in response and and the one thing I I can't give Sean enough credit for is the fact that in his role, he is 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 always right there to immediately respond to a current event issue or issue right and so the the webinar series that ha- has is hugely successful now and Sean can tell you how many episodes we're in but was in response to the civil unrest from this past summer right like how do we dismantle white supremacy how do we create spaces to have these very intentional and explicit conversations. And I, he, he and his team, he and Parisa have done a phenomenal job in creating a space where diverse perspectives and people are able to engage in thoughtful discussion around these issues. And so I guess the other part, I think it, it has to be a part of uh, civic engagement. I struggle as an academic, like, am I doing enough? Because I'm doing it within the context of of my sphere. I'm doing it within the context of the discipline, but what does that look like for all the people who are not in this space, right? And so I think that for me, you know, how to translate research into practice is my way to be civically and politically engaged. I've never done research just for my peers, right? Like i I don't care if you read my article or not. Like I want, I wanted to have some utility for for people in communities that I care about, right? And so, you know, for me, that's trying to figure out how best to translate my work, how to make my work accessible to as many people as possible. For me, is my opportunity to be civically engaged, particularly because I realized that, you know, not everybody is meant to be out there um, protesting, right? Not everybody's role is to. It, it's, it's to do some of that stuff, right? Like everybody has a part in the movement and I I want to use my space in academia and through my research and community engagement to, to fulfill that political engagement, that civic participation in me.
3: While I was listening to Brandy speak, um, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this. I was actually just rereading some of our text messages and I, I, I between Brandy and I, and I, and I did that because it's, it's so great to have a colleague and friend like Brandy. I'm, I, sent her a picture of a dinner we had the other day because I thought isn't doesn't this look delicious i mean that's the, that's the level of friendship we have right now and and i told brandy the other day i mean i um, i don't think i would be in the field if it weren't for you and and the work of your work and, and, and the scholars in our group, uh, because the, these issues are so important to talk about. I don't know if there would be a place uh, for me um, without that type of discussion there. So kudos to Brandy. I mean, uh, I joke with Brandy. I said, you know, she's uh, she's becoming our head of state right now. <laughs> I know she would <laughs> right scoff at that right now, but uh, she's it's, it's just my it's my dorky way of saying she's phenomenal and and, and she's just an amazing leader. And uh, just just to tell you a little bit about DSJ, you know, cheers to Parisa Vinzant, who, who does a lot of our social media I and mean, absolutely amazing, uplifting these messages from the scholar strike. What we've been doing in DSJ is we really want to offer that space to have these types of conversations about dismantling white supremacy, uh, dismantling racism, dismantling patriarchy. So after George Floyd was murdered, um, one of the things that we did as a section, we said, what do we need to to do to bring awareness to this, but also uh, take action? And we had um, a meeting on June 1st, and a lot of great ideas in there. And one of the upshots of that was that we started our Dismantling White Supremacy series. We are four episodes in, and we have two more on the way. We have one that was an introductory um a webinar. We had one that was on the Academy, um, which was insanely well attended, um, I might add. Um, we had one on the criminal legal system, one on nonprofits. One later this month is going to be on uh, dismantling white supremacy and racism in healthcare. And then we have another one in emergency management, and we have more on the way. And then we also have our ethics series about and each one of these things in our ethics series explores, you know, how do we dismantle racism and white supremacy? How do we create ethical organizations where we admit these things? Um, and we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going uh, with this. Uh, we're not stopping. In fact, the exciting thing we're going to be doing, we're going to starting a pedagogy series, something Brandy and I have been working on. We are going to have a whole series about how do you have difficult conversations in the classroom? How do you teach racial justice? How do you diversify your syllabi? Mm-hmm. How do you conduct research about this, Um, any of this? Um, We're not stopping. People want to have this conversation, and we're going to make sure that they have that space to have this conversation. And I will just say, because of how well attended they are, there are a lot of people in the academy who want these changes, who need these changes, um, and who are willing to do the work on themselves and in the field to do these changes. And it's something I'm hoping that can no longer be ignored. Sean's my work husband. So <laughs> I, <I've, laughs> I I, I'm putting, I am putting that line on my CV. You know that, right?
2: right? <laughs> no, leave my work husband, but a I'm, couple I'm, of the other things that, that he failed to mention, right? Like, so again, in response to the statement that DSJ put out uh, collectively, um, a number of us put together and were invited. Shout out to Bruce and Will from JPay. Right, we just submitted a guest editorial that had, had was published today. As a matter of fact, that's that is available online. The work of the scholar strike and trying to figure out what's the best way to keep this momentum going. Trying to figure out uh, the development of a number of symposia based on those Twitter threads, so that you know we can. And more, uh, memorialize that that work and, and really continue to build upon uh, the interdisciplinary aspect of that and even the PA Times column Sean has been so great um, that 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 he put forth for DSJ right and so we are about three columns put forth, in my we (laughs) see i told you my work husband um (laughs) but 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 we put forth right and so you know being very mindful about how to engage people in creating this space where we're having practical conversations about these issues of justice and equity it's you got 850 words to make it happen but you know um we, we've done a good job thus far. And I'm super proud of the work that we've been able to do together as a team um, and, and really looking forward to how we will all continue to just support each other moving forward.
0: Brandy, you, already, you, you mentioned this a little bit previously, but Sean, I want to ask you, so scholars in the larger academic community often are really disconnected from broader civic life. And how do you see your work as complementary to or intertwined with The civic and political life of the
3: communities that you're a part of? Right. That's a a great question. And and I think a lot about how to answer this in terms of philosophies of science. You know, big surprise there, knowing who I am. We do not have God sized views. We shouldn't have God sized views uh, in terms of this this idea out there that the, the researcher can. And apart from this and this very, you know, superior sort of way and just study these things entirely objectively and and maybe maybe to a certain extent with certain things that that could be true it could be approximated. But the reality is that the things that we study, um, especially in terms of social equity, you know, social justice, racial justice and so forth, we're all participants in various ways, whether, whether we want to or not, we, you know, we are all participants. So we need to get rid of this idea that we're just standing behind this screen, just studying things, Standing out and looking in. And what I what I think that means is that it is okay to be an activist. It is okay to use your researcher in order in research in order to argue for change. There are ideas out there that saying if you're trying to argue for change, then you're somehow not scientific. You're somehow not being neutral. You're somehow not contributing to the literature. And that is just very dangerous because if we're not using this research in order to improve people's lives, then what are we doing? So all of these things are intimately connected with broader civic life because if we're... (laughs) We're supposed to be studying how government runs, at least we in PA. We're supposed to be understanding that. And so it is okay to say, no, this is not working. No, this isn't unjust. No, this other thing needs to happen. Because if we're not doing that, we're not acknowledging how normative the field actually is, and we're missing the big picture. And the big picture is that each of our lives are infinitely precious. And government, ideally, should make those lives better. So when government acts in such a way that it takes away that infinite preciousness of life, we can really call into question its legitimacy. And if we do not comment on that, if we don't stand up for Protecting that infinite preciousness of life and the need to design systems to protect that infinite preciousness of life. I quite frankly don't see what we're doing. So everything that we do should be intimately connected because let's just get rid of this whole God's eyes neutral view that we have in terms of our research. Okay, I'm, I'm getting out my soapbox right now.
2: Soap it.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I'm on board, so we're all on your soapbox, it's okay? <laughs> Among friends
0: in this space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, nah, I that I I I can't agree more. Right, we are training public service professionals to go out and be stewards of government and democracy. Right how are, how are you not an activist in that space right because so much of our so many of our institutions fundamentally create a a, a disadvantage right and so if we as people who are going to work on behalf work in government right work on behalf of people are not mindful about how these systems create disadvantage how they facilitate injustice then what, what's the point? Right? Like this idea that we should work in a vacuum, that we are a contextual, that we are ahistorical, right? You know, the conversation is like things are bad now. Well, how did they get bad? How many decisions were made for us to get to this space, right? How much did we ignore that that created this cesspool of mess that we're in right now, right? You know, and and I think for my, at least in our program, and what I try to tell my students is that none of this stuff is objective. You are not neutral. Your life matters. Your experiences uh, impact how you see the world. And the more experiences you can have with diverse people in and, and situations that are outside of your comfort zone, the better you will be prepared to navigate the world as an administrator, right? Right. For, for, for those people who are just reading the textbook and, and trying to solve a problem within a very controlled environment, it's just disingenuous because there's nowhere in the world that that happens, right? So, so our students need to understand their role as stewards of democracy, right? And democracy can't just be this re- espoused theory, that we have we can't just espouse that we're the united states we're the fond- foundation of democracy right we do justice and equity right like follow our model and none of that manifests itself for the lives of so many people in this country right and and so that disconnect for me is is really troublesome and and has always been at the heart of my frustration with the field right but you know, James Baldwin talks about the fact that if I, I, I love this country, so I feel like it's my duty to critique it. Um, I got lots of critiques. Right. <laughs> but but I also feel like it's my duty to create spaces and to create opportunities for us to have different conversations. Right. Because it's so important. And it really is life or death for so many people in this country. Right. What the things we don't do, the, the ways we don't make decisions or the decisions we do or don't make, the resources that we allocate or don't how we implement policy, how we evaluate policy, how we engage with our constituents, right? Like all of that stuff matters. And anybody that tells you different does not have democracy in mind. They don't have justice in mind. They don't have fairness in mind. And so,
1: yeah. <laughs> what both of you are saying is so spot on, right? If, if those of us in the academy don't have a job to, to, to use the resources and, and the power at our disposal to say, hey, there's a real problem here. Then, then what is the point? If if nobody else is going to do it, why why couldn't we we have this power? We have this space. Isn't that our obligation? Uh, and and I think that to to not do it is to not not just perpetuate the violence, but to actually create the violence yourself. Um, and and hopefully hopefully this is going to only increase as we as we go. So. As we're wrapping this up, what would you like to leave our listeners uh, with? Is there something that you want them to take away from discussion? Is there any words of wisdom that either one of you have, Brandy? I guess I'll start by saying just do the
2: right thing, right? Follow, like Spike Lee said, do the right thing, right? Um, But follow your good. Too often we are, I mean, we see ourselves in situations now and there are too many examples where people are just doing their jobs without any consciousness or care for the harm that they are inflicting on people and communities. And I know we all need to eat out here. We are, we have bills to pay. We have families to take care of. But I want us to be able to sleep at night. I know I want to be able to sleep at night, right? And I don't want to cause unnecessary harm. I don't want to do harm to people or communities. And I guess more than anything, like I, I just want people particularly those in our field to be mindful of the role that they play the the power that they have to really affect change in a positive way don't let the naysayers talk you out of it don't be afraid to say the things that need to be said even if your voice shakes right somebody somebody famous said that i don't know who right now <laughs> but how are we willing to use our power and our authority, and our sphere of influence to affect change. Because as a public administrator, if, if we can't do that in our roles, then where else is that going to happen, right? Like, I, that's part of the reason that I was attracted to this field. It's like, this is, government is supposed to be the space where change happens, where, where positive change can occur, where you can be proactive and engage in community in a way that is intentional and authentic and so I guess that, that, that would be how I leave it. Like your role as a public servant means something and it has an impact on the lives of people that you may never even meet, but the decisions that you make have a cumulative impact and to be mindful of what that is.
3: Can I even follow that? Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I think it goes back to, to something that I said is that we, we need to remember as those who study public administration that these situations are about people and people are infinitely precious that which is happening now will never be again people who are lost now at depending on your philosophical view at least on this side will not be again each life is this universe of memories of passions of histories of families of friends of these experiences. So when public administration acts in such a way to destroy that, that is a huge problem. And so there's no time like the present to get it right. That is has to be the big goal of public administration. There's no time like the present because it will never come again. We have to get it right now because once this moment is gone, it's gone. And we have to work to improve the now but also the future. But we cannot wait for the future. In terms of it to happen, it has to happen right now because if we're not creating systems in in order to improve people's lives and everyone's lives, then I question the value of those systems. And those would be the big messages. And that's something I hope that Scholars Strike would work for and did, and that our field continues to work for. Let's make it better for everyone to treat everyone according to that preciousness that they have earned, that they deserve.
0: Wow. Thank you both. I don't even have words to follow. So I just want to I'm just going to say thank you for sharing your time with us and and sharing this space with us. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
2: No, Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. It was it's really nice to be able to just kind of have a conversation uh, about some of this stuff with you all. And I, I just appreciate the platform. I appreciate the space. I love the work that you're doing and we'll always amplify and continue to just promote that as much as possible because it's, it's so important, right? Like it's, it really is the, the bridge, the, the theory to the practice, right? Um, you all are exemplifying that. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Now you two kick ass. You kick ass. Uh, thank
1: you. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, this is it. great. No, this is super cool.
1: Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Goldnox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.